Hey everybody, welcome to the I'm X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, back after becoming the coolest dad in Memphis, Ethan, aka Ethan Tay, aka Biggie, aka the father of the next great Tennessee Titan. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm great. Get a chance to go see my my little guy a little bit later on today. Um, so he's at the hospital still. Just developing a little more because he came early, but I'm doing great. Yeah, it's awesome to hear. I mean, you had a very eventful Christmas week, which, by the way, Merry Christmas to everybody. This is the last episode of the Export of the Year, and we're going out with a bang because it has been quite a lot of drama taking place. Of course, we're going to discuss the benchings of Zach Wilson and Derek Hart to try to determine where their futures may lie. Nathaniel Hackett, after just 15 games with the Denver Bronco, was Broncos is fired as their head coach. What is next for Denver? And, of course, we're going to look at the NBA while giving our top takeaways of this past week as well as discussing whether or not certain players who are eligible for the 2023 Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame class are locks or not. But before we get to any of that, please should check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly, fellow X. Oh my gosh, can't we talk? Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and the extra for website written by uh, your articles by your truly. Oh my gosh, I really can't talk. Whatever, we're just going to skip the intro. Uh, So let's get this show kicked off with our college football player spotlight. And this week we're going to spotlight Kentucky senior quarterback Will Levis, who as of now is considered the top quarterback on the big board of Mel Kuyper Jr., as we all know, draft expert on ESPN. Um, and it's a bit surprising that he's gotten the distinction. Though he is a, probably the best pocket passer of this year's class, he's been getting a lot of hype as of late. He led the Wildcats to a 7-5 record where he threw for 2,400 yards, 19 touchdowns, 10 picks. Despite the numbers not exactly wowing people, he is considered a likely candidate to be the first quarterback off the board. If you are the Houston Texans, are you taking Levis over a guy like Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud? Because personally, I wouldn't. Nah, I wouldn't. I think for me, it's hard because I'm torn between Bryce Young. Like, Bryce Young is a really intriguing talent, but also the big knock to him is, like, he's small, and Granted, I know we talked about Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray being smaller quarterbacks, but he's also smaller in the sense of, like, Russell Wilson's just short. Like, he's not a small guy. He's, like, 215, 220 pounds. He's stocky. Yeah, he's stocky. Kyler Murray, he's similar. Like, he's stocky. He's not as big as Russ, but he's, like, a good, solid, maybe 210, I believe. But Bryce Young, he's like from what you look on his um his profile, he's basically like 195 pounds, and I understand he's been great in college, but I don't know if I want my quarterback to be not even close to 200 pounds in the NFL That's when you're going to be having 300 plus pound guys falling on top of him. Um, especially when you play for the Texans, that doesn't have a great offensive line, so. I'll probably wish maybe look at CJ Stroud over Will Levis, but I'm not in the draft. Fair. Yeah, and I think the, another knock against 
a guy like uh, Will Levis. For me, if I'm Houston, it's just, I pretty much just had a Will Levis. I had a pocket passer in Davis Mills. And though he had some solid games overall, it just did not work. And I just wouldn't want to go through that. I just wouldn't want to go through that again if I didn't have to. So I think we're in agreement that Will Levis would not be our first overall pick. All right, let's go ahead and take a look back at week 16. And here are the results. Starting with the Jacksonville Jaguars defeating the New York Jets Thursday night football. My Ravens clinched a playoff win after defeating the Atlanta Falcons in 17-9. The Detroit Lions got outgunned and out-hustled by the Carolina Panthers, who rushed over 300 yards in their 37-23 win. The Saints beat the Browns 17-10. The Bengals defeated the Patriots 22-18. Buffalo Bills beat the Bears 35-13. The Minnesota Vikings survived the New York Giants 27-24. The Chiefs outlast the Seahawks 24-10. The Houston Texans get their second win of the season after taking down the Titans 19-14. Uh, the 49ers defense leads the way in their 37-20 win over the Commanders. Dallas gets their revenge against Philly as they beat them 40-34. The Steelers um, get a win in honor of Franco Harris 13-10 defeating the Raiders. The Rams make sure that the Broncos have a terrible Christmas, beating them 51-14. to uh, Packers add doubt to the Miami Dolphins playoff hopes, beating them 26-20. to And in overtime, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers survive the Arizona Cardinals 19-16, while the Chargers are headed to the playoffs after their 20-3 victory over the Colts Monday Night Football. Overall, I went 11-5, so not a, not a bad prediction week for me. Uh, but let's go ahead and look at some injuries because there were some big ones starting first out of Cincinnati. They lose starting right tackle Lyle Collins for the rest of the year with the torn ACL and MCL injuries. Uh, the Raiders are losing linebacker Denzel Perryman and defensive end Chandler Jones with elbow injuries, which are expected to close their seasons. Uh, Cardinals lose star safety Buda Baker with a fractured shoulder. He's done for the year. And the Eagles were dealt with two big blows, starting with uh, losing cornerback Avante Maddox for an undetermined amount of time with a toe injury. And after it was previously previously announced that Lane Johnson would be done for the year after uh, suffering a shoulder injury, he came back and said instead of that, he's going to rehab during the rest of the regular season and play in the playoffs and then just have surgery in the offseason. While I respect his hustle and I respect him wanting to come out and be the best player he can and help his team, I'll admit, I don't know if this is exactly the best move for a star right tackle to come to wait to have surgery on their arm. I know he wants to play, but I don't know if it's worth it. Ethan, what about you? Do you think he's making the right decision? Um, I don't think so, but it's also hard to say because we don't know. Like, for one, I think a big part of it is pain tolerance. How much of the um, pain you can take from the injury. And what's the likelihood of the injury getting worse because he's still playing? Because if he has a low risk chance of like aggravating it or making it worse, mm -hmm. then it might be worse giving it a shot. But I'm gonna just say from the standpoint of like we said as a right as an office alignment, when you have arm injuries, that could be um really bad because those are your tools of your trade. Like yes, you need good feet. But you also need good hands to place your own, to get good placement for blocking. So I'm like a mixed bag. It could be bad. It could not be. Yeah, I feel you. I, like I said, I don't know how many years Lane Johnson has in him. I know Jason Kelsey, their star center, has kind of been 
hinting that retirement is on the horizon. Lane Johnson could possibly be that same way. And he might want to go out with a ring. And I totally understand if you feel like you're on your last ride or close to it and your team has a chance to go to the Super Bowl, you don't want to miss it. So from a mental under standpoint, I totally get it. But on the other hand, it's like you kind of have to be you got to do some self-preservation and kind of take care of yourself. So that's why I would probably just sit out. But hopefully it works out because Lane Johnson is still one of the best right tackles in the league. So hopefully when he does come, it's not a major drop-off in play since he's going to be playing through his injury. But all right, let's go ahead and look at our top five takeaways of the week. Ethan, you can start us off. Oh, it's going to be hard because I didn't watch anything and really haven't heard much. But I can try to give you three. Okay. You want me to just start um, with my two first two, and then you can jump in at three? Yeah, that's cool. All right, cool. So, number five, Washington's quarterback of the future is not on the roster right now. Taylor Heineke has, hasn't won the last three games that he started. I think he's, what, five and three on the season. And while he does provide um, an edge to the team, and the team clearly rallies around him, he's not meant to be their starting quarterback, and I think everybody knows that. And same for Carson Wentz. I mean, he's getting the start this weekend just because they need they want to try some new blood as they attempt to make this late playoff push, but I just don't see it. I think that while both quarterbacks are fine, putting it nicely, I do think that Washington needs to start working towards the future in terms of looking at a new quarterback, whether that's through the draft or maybe making a move for a guy like Derek Carr, who we'll talk about later. Um, and number four, the Lions defense is going to cost them a trip to the playoffs. During their previous run, I mean, the, for the first time, it looked like the Lions defense was clicking. They were winning games. They were getting stops, excluding the disrespect that Justin Jefferson did to them. But everybody else, they did a solid enough job to keep them in front of them. But as I mentioned earlier, I mean, the Panthers just were running it down their throat. They allowed 570 yards and 320 yards on the ground. You cannot do that as a defense in general, but especially not for a team that's trying to make it to the playoffs. But yeah. My number three, um, I'm going to go with the Titans. Malik Willis might be our quarterback of the future, but I definitely don't think he should be our quarterback going into next season. Um, me and you have talked about this off air. I think Malik Willis is a tremendous talent from the skills that like he has a good arm. And we all have seen his first what he can do with his legs. But the thing that I think holds him back, unless he puts in like a lot of work and does a lot of improvement in the offseason, it's just the nuances of being a quarterback, being able to make the reads and progress through his reads quickly. He holds the ball entirely too long. And then he tries to make plays with his legs when he should just get rid of the football. And then cost drives. Um, also, it doesn't help the out really right now outside of Traylon Burks. None of our wide receivers can really get separation. So you press that with a young quarterback that isn't um, that isn't good at making reads and progressing through his um, reads. That's really difficult. Yeah, I feel you. Did you see that Josh Dobbs is starting tonight over Malik? Yeah, I did. I think that's the right decision. I don't think. I understand kind of because he is your backup and you're in a pinch. He has to come in and start. But at this point, this late in the season, I wouldn't risk it with uh, Malik. I would rather give him time to grow. All right, my number three. I might sound like a hater, but I don't care. I ask again, where is the flag for Josh Allen's latest uninspiring performance? 
when you're facing a defense like the Bears that, honestly, they don't have Eddie Jackson because he's hurt. They traded Roquan Smith. They traded Roberts, Rob, um, Robert Quinn. Most of their big players, their best players, are gone, or at least in their front seven. This really was an opportunity for Josh Allen to kind of bounce back, have a big performance, and remind everybody why he was considered an MVP candidate. And for some people, the best quarterback in the league. And instead, he looked very pedestrian. In the game, he had who's 15 of 26 pass and 172 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. And it's just like, yo, where is – Eddie also had a fumble. He didn't lose it, but he did fumble. And I'm just – the magic of Josh Allen has kind of been waning over the course of the season, and nobody's talked about it. I mean, you and I have discussed it and how he's kind of looked a bit pedestrian and how turnovers have been a big issue. But with regards to the national media, it's just not there. And I'm, I just don't think it's fair because, of course, you'll see other quarterbacks who have not great games or who don't do too much, and everybody's calling for their head and saying, oh, they suck, they're terrible. But then you get a Josh Allen who's been doing it routinely for the past month or so, and everybody's just quiet. Um, my number two, the Las Vegas Raiders are going to look like a completely different team. I think coming into the next, uh, coming into the next season. Um, first and foremost, I would be incredibly surprised if Josh McDaniels is still their head coach at the end of this season. Um, we've also talked about the the. Interesting turn of events with Derek Carr and how he suddenly benched and how he probably won't be on their team. I saw a video on Instagram with Josh Jacobs being interviewed after the game, after a game, and he sounded like he was out. Um, and if Derek Carr isn't there, I would not be surprised if Devontae Adams tries to find a way to force himself out as well. Um, they. It's crazy how we were talking about that whole division potentially making the playoffs, and it's only two that have shown that are that are in the playoffs and shown to be as great as they were expected to be. Um, but yeah, I don't think this Raiders team will be anything similar to what it's been this season from a from a player and coaching standpoint. Yeah, they're gonna be wasting that big beautiful stadium for a rebuilding squad. Um, my number two is, could anybody really blame Miami if they looked at other quarterbacks this offseason? For the first half of the season, Tua looked like a man on a mission. He was playing terrific, was the most accurate quarterback statistically, looked great on the deep ball, etc. However, three concussions later, you play the Packers where you throw three picks on the final game, I mean, on the final three drives of the game. You put your team's Jeopardy, I mean, playoff hopes in jeopardy. Like I said, Tua started the season amazing, and he looked like he had really turned the corner, but now I'm not so sure. And, I mean, we're going to talk about the health of Tua later on, but, I mean, just looking at that, who could anybody really blame Miami if they just started to kind of peek at the free agent quarterbacks or maybe make a move at quarterback just because I don't think Tua's reliable. Tua's fine, and I think that, like I said, he made some big strides this year. But I think if the Dolphins end up not making the playoffs, it's going to come back on Tua, and I think Miami is going to really seriously think about moving on. Um, For me, my number one is Mike Tomlin is probably – not even probably. He's right outside of Bill Belichick. Mike Tomlin, in my opinion, probably the best coach in the NFL to play for. Um, just 
I saw the video of him talking to his guys in that game against the Raiders, and it's like, the only thing I can think of was like, if I play football, I would want to play for the Steelers and I would want to play for my son. There's only two coaches that I just think like I would want to be around those guys. Number one is Mike Tomlin, and number two is Mike Verbal. Um, and it's like, and Granny again, it also shows his greatness because he has like a twelve to fifteen percent chance of making the playoffs. And I would not. And Granny, y'all gotta play. You, your Ravens got to play them this Sunday, and I'm going to try to tune into that game because I know it's going to be a good game. But I would, if they were to make it into the playoffs, that would probably be the highlight of my season or the season for me because my Titans, they crumbled at the end of the year. First off, still ill about wanting to play for the Steelers. But Mike Tomlin is an amazing coach. I can't even, I can't hate on him. But, you know, Steelers. And, um, my number one is actually about your Titans, and it's, Maybe missing the playoffs isn't the worst thing for Tennessee. Like, I understand you want to win the AFC South crown. You want to do it big. You want to show everybody how great Mike Vrabel is despite not having exactly the most talented roster. But, I mean, this offseason is going to be very important for the Titans. And I'm not saying tank by any means, but having an earlier draft pick could be very convenient. Because let's be honest, you and I both talked about it, needing to get some more wide receivers in that room. Chalen Burks is fine. But, I mean, you need more bodies around him. Racing McMath has been pretty solid. Robert Woods has been ineffective. I can't remember the name of the rookie receiver we were talking about early in the year who was making some plays, um, especially in the preseason, but he's kind of just falling off the face of the earth. Kyle Phillips. Yes, thank you. Kyle Phillips and somebody else who I'm going to name, I remember what I do not care. But, essentially, it just seems like with the Titans, they're kind of in the same boat as Baltimore. It's like they kind of get by with their run game and their defense, and their quarterback just just does enough to get the ball out to his guys and go from there. However, we're starting to see that when the quarterbacks go down or when other stars go down, like for in your case, Derrick Henry go down, it's a whole nother ball game. It's so – the offense becomes so diluted and so – and it just loses its luster. It loses its firepower. And I think that this offseason could be a chance for the Titans to go ahead and re-up on that and get better in all facets. Now, of course, you got to bring back Jeff Simmons. That's a non-negotiable. You have to find some sort of way to do it. But, I mean, it does present some interesting questions about Ryan Tannehill and his contract because, I mean, he is taking up a lot of cap space. Bud Dupree is another guy. So maybe not making the playoffs, and no offense, but I don't see any game – any potential matchup for the Titans where I see them being able to win. And it's nothing against the team. It's just right now they seem they seem like a shell of the Titans team that we're used to seeing. Derrick Henry has been playing to his best abilities. I think he's actually going to miss tonight's game. The offense obviously just does not run the same without Ryan Tannehill until the defense has kind of lost a step. And I think it would not be the worst thing for them to have more time in the offseason to regroup, get a plan together, and retool this team so they can get back to their former glory um, next year. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our most impressive and disappointing players of the week. For me, I was really impressed by wide receiver C.D. Lamb, a guy who I haven't mentioned much, but he's been real clutch for my fantasy team. Um, Against the Eagles, had 10 catches. Um, on 11 targets for 120 yards and two touchdowns. And, I mean, he did so against a really tough uh, Philly defense, so props to him. Um, 
Who am I disappointed by? Oh, this is impressive. Honestly, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Malik Willis mm-hmm. because, like, bro, you lost to the Texans. You're a rookie and you're still in the NFL, but it's like, bro, you lost to the Texans. Like, they're bad and you didn't play good. And I'm, only, I'm not even expecting him to play great. You didn't play good. Yeah. Outside of that one run that you had for a touchdown, you were mediocre. So I would have to go with Malik. In terms of who I was disappointed by, I really almost just said Russell Wilson single-handedly, but that whole Broncos team just came out with no fight against the Rams. Overall, they threw four picks. Russ had, what, three of them. Brett Reapian had a pick through a pick six. The defense had no heart whatsoever. Gave up 51 points on Christmas. Like, and I understand both teams were out of playoff contention, but you would think they'd act like they were playing for something. They'd act like they cared, and it's just they didn't look like it. It was just really disappointing to just see a team just give up like that, especially because they're still they still had two more games to go this year. Um, all right, uh, rookie of the week, who you got? Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, I forgot. I skipped something. Uh, my most impressive defensive player is Cardinals cornerback Marco Wilson. Four tackles, two picks on Tom Brady, making it a much closer game than it should have been against the Bucks. But, all right, you got a rookie of the week? Oh, I got a defensive guy. All right, and My defensive guy is going – it's got to be Cam Hayward. He, if I'm not mistaken, he had seven tackles, two sacks, mm-hmm. three tackles for loss in the past breakup. Yeah. Or something crazy like that. He went a bit insane. He can keep that same energy for the Raiders, though. He can leave us alone. Yeah, so I got to go with Cam. Um, Ricky, I'm going Brock Purdy. I got He just keeps on winning, so. And there's no other real rookie outside of, like, Sauce Garner that I'm just like, hey, they're doing great. Um, Outside of Sauce Garner in the um, corner for Seattle. True. Yeah. Uh, For me... I'm going to show some love to Patriots defensive back Marcus Jones because that man was all over the field on Sunday. Man had 14 tackles, a pick, a fumble recovery, and also had a 15-yard reception as well as was the main returner in the special teams. I mean, he's been a guy who's really fallen under the radar, which many Patriots players do, especially because they're not exactly winning these days. But shout-out to Marcus Jones. He's been playing. He's been balling. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at the playoff picture, starting with the AFC. Right now, the Buffalo Bills still hold the number one seed. That could change with uh, Monday night's game against the Bengals. But this is how the playoffs would shake out if things stood today. We have the Miami Dolphins versus the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, Los Angeles Chargers versus the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Baltimore Ravens versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. Low-key, I wouldn't be mad if the playoff picture stayed the way it is now. But what team in the AFC do you think is the biggest X factor? Um, honestly, I'm going to say the Jaguars. Um, because they're, in my opinion, they're the biggest Jekyll and Hyde of the team that are in the playoffs. Like, the Bills, granted, Josh Allen's play can be spotty at times, but we pretty much know who the Bills are. Same thing for the Chiefs. And we kind of know every the, what teams we're going to get 
when it comes down to with all the teams. But we don't know which Jaguar team is going to show up. And we don't know which Trevor Lawrence is going to show up. Like, yes, he's kind of been a little consistent over these past couple of games. But we can look up and we can see the um, the Clemson Trevor Lawrence that everybody thought was going to be the greatest quarterback prospect ever. Or we can look up and see Trevor Lawrence that looks like he hasn't played quarterback in the NFL. So I would have to go to the Jags. I'm going to say Baltimore. Reason being, Lamar hasn't come back yet, and he's slated to return um, at least during the playoffs, which is great. But, I mean, the defense that I've seen over the past few weeks is a much, much better group than we saw before the Roquan Smith trade. And while we were kind of taking steps before that, Roquan really came in and just kind of turned the defense on his head, which is why I'm saying pay Roquan whatever he wants. But in continuing with that, I think that right now, Yes, there are several questions with regards to receiving group, but we know who Lamar Jackson is. Lamar Jackson is a magician. Lamar Jackson always finds a way to make things happen. And I think that he could provide a much better spark to the team that we have not really had since Snoop had to take over because of injury. I mean, he's better at finding his receivers, namely Mark Andrews. And I think that because we need him in a pinch, I think that, especially because there's money on the line, I think Lamar is going to come in and want to have a point to prove and try to earn as much money as he can. And I think that's going to lead to him going all out in these playoff games. So I would say Lamar. But all right, let's go ahead and look at some of the biggest roster news of the week, starting with, um, I'm sorry, I lied. We got to look at the NFC. Uh, number one seed, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, so playoff matchups as it stands. Uh, Washington Commanders versus the Minnesota Vikings. New York Giants versus the San Francisco 49ers. And then the Dallas Cowboys versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. My biggest X factor for the NFC, I'm going to say the Bucks, Because even though the Bucks have been very disappointing all regular season, I don't want to pull the it's Tom Brady card, but it's Tom Brady. And I just would like to think that Especially because he keeps saying he's not thinking about retirement. I would like to think that he wants to go out with some pride, especially with games on the line. And sure, he can only do so much, but I like to think that in the playoffs, he's going to turn it up a notch and really start being the Tom Brady we're used to seeing. But I know that's a lot to ask for a 45-year-old man. But I think that between him getting finally getting some chemistry with his receivers, which seems to be lacking, and then, of course, the defense, who I think is going to be able to step up, I think that, for me, I think the Bucks are the biggest X factor. In the, in the NFC. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. And not even just Tom Brady, but I think their defense is starting to get healthy and get guys back. And when the season first started, when all their guys were healthy, the Bucks defense was like the best defense in the NFL. So even if Tom Brady doesn't play all the way up to his normal standard, if their defense can get back going, I can still see them making a deep playoff run. Yeah. Or even if it's not – or if they could just do enough. Because I feel, especially looking at the NFC, like real talk, the only teams I'm really worried about are Philly, 49ers, and um, I, I say Dallas. Like I want the Vikings to make a deep run, but we've seen that if the, the Vikings defense is a liability, you can get past that defense, and if your offense can do enough, looking at you Colts, you can win that game. So I'm not really sure on Minnesota yet, but I think that the Bucks absolutely have a chance to make it at least to the divisional round. 
right now let's go ahead and take a look at some of the biggest roster news starting with it being announced that by jj watt himself that he is going to be retiring at the end of this season um he made a post on twitter referring with a picture of his family saying cola's first nfl game my last ever nfl home game my heart is filled with nothing but love and gratitude it's been an absolute honor and a pleasure now, for those of you younger fans or people who really don't know, J.J. Watt used to be that dude. I mean, throughout his career, he's a three-time defensive player of the year, five-time first-team All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler, led the league in sacks twice, made the NFL 2010's All-Decade team, and was a 2017 NF Walter Payton Man of the Year. Bad man. Very bad man. And I think it's safe to say he's going to go in the Hall of Fame. Do you think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, or do you think he's going to have to wait? I think he's first ballot. Um, yes, I know he didn't win a Super Bowl, but the reality of it is when J.J. Watt was in his prime and when he wasn't injured, it was crazy. He was he was one of the best defensive players of a generation. Yeah. Like he was unblockable. And I think he'll be a first ballot. Now I know they play two different positions, but for the sake of playing devil's advocate, JJ Watt, Aaron Donald, who's the better defensive player all time? Me personally, I'm gonna say Aaron Donald. Because of the position that he plays, because um, JJ White he played defensive end, and so for him to get the numbers of sacks and things that he does at the position that he plays, it's expected. Like it's 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 it's, it's I won't say it's easier, but it's it is easier. Mm-hmm. But when you're an interior lineman, and when you think about it, an interior lineman like Aaron Donald who. Chevy will be considered undersized right. because he's listed at 280 and he's like 5'10 and he's dominated the way that he's dominated. I would have to go with Aaron Donald. Yeah, you and I are in agreement. I'd also say Aaron Donald, but I mean, there was a stretch boy like where J.J. Watt. I used to get sick of hearing J.J. Watt's name on ESPN just because he was everywhere. Because I think it was what, when he had 20 sacks. Did he do that? I know he had one season, he was like just one sack short of Michael Strahan's record. Yeah. And then, did he hit 20 he sacks twice? Yes. He also caught touchdowns. Yeah, no, J.J. Watt was a bad, bad man. And I understand for people who just saw him in Arizona, you might not understand it, but in Houston, it's crazy. But all right, let's talk about some other people on the other side of the trenches. And that's some offensive linemen who got paid, starting with Packers giving offensive lineman Elton Jenkins a four-year, $68 million contract, making him a top 10 uh, highest-paid offensive lineman in the league. And the Browns paid their right tackle, Jack Conklin, four-year, 60 mil with 31 mil guarantee. Loki kind of surprised because, let's be honest, he's not. He has not been reliable. But, hey, get your money while you can. Speaking of somebody else who may be getting some money soon, Rob Gronkowski had NFL front offices in a stir after he tweeted out, I'm kind of bored. And reportedly, several teams reached out to him about a potential return. While uh, Gronk did not explicitly say that he'd come back, he said you never know. There could be a slight chance. 
I know this is the easy answer, but I mean, with the playoffs on the horizon, especially if the Bucks win this game on Sunday against the Panthers, could you see him throwing back on a jersey and helping the Bucks out during the playoffs? I'm going to say no. I think Grunk, I think he is bored, but I also think Grunk just likes a little attention. And he gets some attention. I don't think he wants, I don't, I really don't think he wants to come back. I think he just kind of wants that attention of like being coveted a little bit and then going back to just living his day to day life. Yeah, I agree. I mean, while I would like to see it, I think it'd be fun to see it. I don't think it's going to happen. I just think that at this point, Gronk, like you said, I think Gronk is just talking. Because realistically, the only team I could see him joining would be the Bucks. Because why would I want to go somewhere and have to start all the way over? And like getting you know, a new playbook, a new quarterback, all of that. And so if it's not the Bucks, I don't see it happening. But all right, we kind of touched on it at the top. Definitely some quarterbacks' futures are in doubt in Zach Wilson and Derek Carr. So let's start off with the second-year man. Following a lackluster performance against the Jacksonville Jaguars, further jeopardizing the Jets' playoff hopes, it's been several reports coming out that his time in New York could potentially be over. The former second overall pick um, is reported by Jake Glazer that he could be off of the Jets roster come next season. He added that Wilson has lost the confidence in himself as well as from his teammates, and the Jets could trade Wilson post-June 1st and save about $4 million in cap space while carrying a 5.7 dead cap hit, which honestly is not that bad. Um, so let's play a game. Let's go ahead and bring out our crystal balls, and we're going to look ahead to 2023 in the offseason. What is going to happen with Zach Wilson? Will he be traded? Will he be cut? Or will he stay in New York? He will be he will be cut by the New York Jets and he will be signed by hmm. That's the hard part. Like Derek Carr, I could come up with teams like that. But he'll be he'll be signed by the coach. Ew. Okay. Okay. I'm agreeing with you. I think he's gonna be cut just because I don't see anybody trading for him. Like what has he done to get any trade capital? Um, but I think he's going to end up with and I don't think even when he gets signed, I don't think it's gonna be like an immediate thing. I think it's gonna he's gonna be sitting on his butt for a while. I could see him ending up in Denver reason being the reason why Russell Russell Wilson's been playing terrible this year and I hate to say it because that's my brother-in-law he's looked like crap and I think that because of his contract the Broncos can't even entertain letting him go because I mean how are you gonna do it like nobody's gonna trade for him you can't cut him you just give him this mega deal he's not going anywhere but I think that next year if they're kind of having the same problems they can start looking towards the future a bit and I think that no matter what Russ is still a great leader, and Russ could be a great mentor to somebody who could take his position if he does play badly. And that could be a guy like Zach Wilson, who you know is not going to touch the field, barring some sort of injury. And even if they keep Brett Ripien, that'll help a lot too. I just think the Broncos need an insurance policy, 
in case things don't work out with Russ for another year, even though I think he's going to ball out next year because that's my guy. But realistically, I mean, you it never hurts to have a backup plan. I think that both players are going to be having a chip on their shoulders, probably none bigger than Russ. So why not have Zach in there? Not necessarily as competition, but just to let them know, hey, there are other quarterbacks out there that aren't you. So you better buck up or, or it's a wrap. But all right, let's play the same game with Derek Carr, who after a three-interception performance against the Pittsburgh Steelers, it was announced that he was going to be benched for the rest of the season while Jared Siddham was going to take over as their new quarterback. Um, while Josh McDaniel said it was a way to, quote-unquote, evaluate a young player, nobody really thinks Jared Siddham is going to be the Raiders quarterback of the future. So it's safe to say that uh, Mr. Carr has played his last game in Vegas which is weird because he's definitely become a staple for the organization. But Crystal Ball is still out. Is Derek Carr going to get traded, cut, or does he stay in Vegas in 2023? Um, hmm. I think he's going to get traded to the Jets. Okay. That will be a good one because, hold on, I want to look something up in terms of, like, how much dead cap he's going to have. Uh, yeah, he would be, oh, never mind, his dead cap is nothing. That's not bad. It's only 5.6 mil. Either way, I still think he does get traded. Um, I'm going to say Washington. I think Washington is kind of going to be in the mode of the Colts where they just, instead of drafting rookies, I think they're going to try to bring in proven veterans because I think the commanders are a team that are good enough to get to the playoffs. They just need a stable force. And Derek Carr isn't terrible. This year may not show it, but, I mean, Derek Carr is, in my opinion, a top 15 to 17 quarterback. Like, and he's definitely shown flashes, and he's definitely been big reasons why the Raiders have had success. And I think that because of that, I think a team's going to be willing to take a chance on him and make him their guy, even if it's just for the rest of uh, his contract, which I think is like two or three years left, and see where things go. But he's definitely going to have a market for him. But all right, we talked about Russ and the Broncos a little bit ago. But yes, it was announced on Monday that the Broncos have decided to part ways with head coach Nathaniel Hackett after just 15 games. In addition to that, they moved up uh, senior assistant coach Jerry Rossberg, who is going to be their head coach for the remainder of the future, as they have also fired their special teams coach and their offensive line coach, um, with Mike Mallory, who will be taking over for special teams coach, and Ben Steele, who will be taking over for their offensive line coach. We kind of talked about this, I don't remember how many weeks ago, but we talked about if it was too early to give up on Nathaniel Hackett. And I mean, almost finished with this season. I think it's fair to ask the question again. Do you think that the Broncos moved on from Nathaniel Hackett too quickly? No, I don't. I think being real, he lost the locker room. Um, and once a coach loses the locker room, you can't repair that. So I think they made the right decision. Just go ahead, biting the bullet, getting rid of them, and looking to build and find somebody for for next season. Yeah, I'm kind of torn on it because I'll say this. I think the Christmas game was the nail in the coffin. If you lose that game, okay. But the fact that you lost the way that they did, I think that that's really what showed them. Nah, like your team does not care. They're not fighting for you. And like you said, once you – 
he lost the locker room and once you lose the locker room you it's almost impossible to get it back especially because this is your first year as an nfl head coach so while i like the guy and it sucks for him i i do agree i think that they uh i think they made the right choice but it's also been reported that uh sean payton He's trying to make a return to coaching in 2023. And I mean, hey, apparently he's assembling uh, staff uh, with, I think Vic Fangio is his DC. I don't know who's going to be his OC. But let's say that Sean Payton does become the Broncos' new head coach. Can he, quote, unquote, fix the Broncos? I think he can. Um, it's from the offensive standpoint, we all know that Sean Payton was really good at scheming wide receivers open. Yeah. And with the assembly of wide receivers that they have with Corden Sutton, Jerry Judy, um, KJ Hamlin, and you get, and they're all talented and they're all right, but then you get a coach like Sean Payton that can essentially scheme them open and make it much easier for them to get open. I think you can turn them around. And I think you can go back to, you can probably, you might start seeing Russ looking like Russ again. Um, and I also think just, we, we letting Russ get an offseason where he can just focus on his body. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people just don't, that just down by the fact that I'm pretty sure he's been playing with some injuries and it has affected his play and his bad play calling as well from the head coach. So I think those two things combined, you still, even though they don't have Bradley Chubb, they still have some decent pieces on defense. And you can bring in a big matchup to the defense. I think he can turn it around. Yeah, with the exception of this past game, their defense has been, still been playing pretty well. I mean, you got to remake that offensive line. That offensive line is terrible. And yes, it's been riddled with injuries, but still for the love of God, that line is bad. So, yeah, I think that this would be a great offseason for him to work on his body. And we know that Russ is always working hard. I mean, he was doing the high knees on the plane to London, if anybody forgot. But on a serious note, yeah, I think that this will be a really big offseason for Russ because he knows he has to have a big year. Like, I don't – teams don't have the patience like they used to. And, I mean, the Broncos, after getting rid of Nathaniel Hackett, it's clear that they're willing to make big changes to get things right. And Russ, who I still bang on the drum, is – a future Hall of Famer? Not first ballot, but I think he can still make it. I think that in order for that to happen, he's going to have to go crazy in this offseason, really get to work, develop more chemistry with his his teammates offensively and defensively to make things happen. I think that getting a guy like Sean Payne, who is, as we know, one of the top play callers in the league, I think that that could do wonders for him. So, yeah, I think Sean Payne will be a terrific hire. And if I'm the Broncos... I guess I'd technically tampering to call him now, but I would, you know, I would send out some feelers. You know, I would, I would send him some orange and blue. You know, just letting him know we're thinking about him. All right, let's go ahead and play our game of believable or buffoonery. Starting with Tua Tagovailoa, who, as it was reported on Sunday, I mean, yeah, Sunday against the Packers, suffered his third concussion of the season. And it is apparently because of those symptoms, he is going to be out this upcoming game against the Patriots with, like I said, this being yet another concussion. And we already know the scary history of Tua and concussions this year. It's a possibility that he should sit this season out. So believable or buffoonery, Tua Tagovailoa should hang it up this season to protect his health. I think it's believable. 
I let it go. Like, and it, I know it sucks because, like I said, like he wants to be the guy. He wants to lead his team to victory. But honestly, at this point, bro, it's not worth it. It's not worth your health. Um, all right, moving on. Michael Parsons had some interesting comments on while he joined Von Miller on the Von cast, where he talked about his 2021 draft class and said that he believes that it is one of the best. And so in going as far as to compare it to the 2011 draft class. Now, just a brief reminder for those of you who do not know who was in the 2021 draft class. That boasted Jamar Chase, Rashawn Slater, Creed Humphrey, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Michael Parsons, of course, J.C. Horn. I'm missing so many people. Oh, Pat Sartan was another guy. It was loaded, but... It's still pretty early. These guys are just in their second year. But believable or buffoonery, the 2021 NFL draft class is on pace to becoming legendary. Um, I'm going to say buffoonery because out of their draft class right now, only two other players are showing like legendary potential. And it's Michael Parsons and Justin Jefferson. Out. I'll throw Pat Sertan a bone. Pat Sertan's been balling, too. I think it's, like, three clear-cut stars, and then the other guys, like, Trevor Lawrence is showing flashes, but we got to see if it's legit. Same for Justin Fields. Um, the offensive linemen have done really well, too. But, yeah, I'm going to call it buffoonery, too. But the I'll say this. The guys that are good are good, and the other ones are Zach Wilson. All right, let's go ahead and move on. Another guy who is a recent draftee, and that's my main man, Justin Jefferson, who is knocking on the door of breaking the single-season receiving record. I think he needs less than – I know it's less than 300 yards in two games. And they're playing, what, the Packers and I don't know who they – I think Packers and Bears for the last two games. And uh, my boy Jay Jetta said, having the type of season I'm having, I feel like that's a conversation to be had for me to be MVP. You already know I'm waving the flag for Jay Jettis for MVP. But realistically, believable or buffoonery, Justin Jefferson has a strong MVP case. Because I mean, what really? I think Pat. I think Patrick Mahomes is gonna win it, and I. I think he's gonna run away with it. Uh, Jalen Hurts absolutely has potential to, but with this latest injury, that could knock him out the running. Justin, I mean, not Justin. Joe Burrow has been balling lately, but I don't think he's gonna get it. Josh Allen, we've already talked about him. Jay Jettas, 123 catches for 1,756 yards, eight TDs. He's averaging 117 reception. I mean yards per game. I mean he's he's going insane. Pers I agree with you. I think that he should, but because of his position, I don't think it's gonna happen. All right, this last question is not a believable or buffoonery, but a uh, the more realistic Super Bowl contender. Following the Cowboys' 40 to 34 win over the Philadelphia Eagles, people use it as an opportunity to rag on the Eagles. Um, including uh, Nick Wright, who said, I think it's more likely the Eagles are a one seed, one and done, than they are the NFL Super Bowl representative. Uh, Damian Woolley also added on the Cowboys, saying that he believes they can come out of the NFC. 
So, Ethan, what's more realistic? Who is the more realistic Super Bowl contender? The Philadelphia Eagles or the Dallas Cowboys? In my opinion, I would say, I would say the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, with these all hits upon Jack Hurts coming back being fully healthy. Fair. Because, in my opinion, they they still have the most complete roster in the NFL. Agreed. Yes, I know they lost Lane Johnson for the rest of the year, and that's a big blow. But you have AJ Brown and Devontae Smith, two guys that are thousand yard receivers. You have Miles um, Sanders, who's a thousand yard rusher. You have Jalen Hurts on healthy. He can affect the game throwing and running. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you have a great front seven with Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis, um, John Hargrave, Hassan Reddick. Like, and they have two, the one of the top two best quarterback duos, cornerback duos with big play Slade and James Bradbury. They have great safety play, especially when C.J. Garner Johnson's healthy. Like, the Cowboys, they have a great front seven from a pass rush standpoint. One corner, they can make a game change and play with the interception, and they have a really good run game. Like, they have C.D., but C.D. hasn't shown consistency to where, especially with the other weapons around him, I'm not afraid of C.D. Lamb the way that I'm afraid of A.J. Brown. That's fair. Um, That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I think that the Eagles are a more complete team. And, I mean, we've seen it too many times where the Cowboys just crumble in the playoffs. And I think that – because, hey, I could really see the Bucks beating them in the first round. Like, especially if their defense is able to play as well as they did week one and they're able to kind of keep them in check. Now, as we all know, the run game was not where it was for the Cowboys – um, during that game, but even still. So, yeah, I'm going Philly between if I had to pick between the two. But right, let's go ahead and make our game picks for Week 17, starting with Thursday Night Football, the Dallas Cowboys without Tony Pollard, so I don't really care about their offense anymore. Um, heading to Nashville to face the Tennessee Titans, who are going to be led by Josh Dobbs. I got Cowboys. Cowboys. Philadelphia Eagles versus the New Orleans Saints. I got Eagles. Eagles. Detroit Lions versus the Chicago Bears. I think their defense makes a statement. I got Lions. Uh, yeah, I got Lions. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Carolina Panthers in a game that will decide the division. I got Bucks. Bucks. Kansas City Chiefs versus the Denver Broncos. I got Chiefs. Chiefs. New York Giants versus the Indianapolis Colts, and I believe if they win this game, they're in the playoffs. So, and I don't, I'm sorry, I don't trust the Colts to do anything. So, I got Giants. Giants. Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Houston Texans. They did give the Texans their first win of the year. I don't think that they're going to give them their third. I got Jags. Uh, yeah, I got Jags. Atlanta Falcons versus the Arizona Cardinals. This is a tough game to predict, but I think I'm going to go Falcons because I think they're going to rely heavily on that run game. Yeah, I got it. Atlanta. Washington Commanders versus the Cleveland Browns. I got Commanders. They're trying to keep their playoff hopes alive. Washington. New England Patriots versus the Miami Dolphins. Teddy Bridgewater's getting the start. 
I think I'm gonna go Patriots. I'm gonna go Dolphins. Uh, Seattle Seahawks versus the New York Jets. Mike White is slated to be the starter for the Jets. That's nice and dandy. I still got Seahawks. Yeah, I got Seattle. San Francisco 49ers versus the Las Vegas Raiders. I got Niners. Niners. Los Angeles Rams staying in L.A. as they face the Chargers. I got Chargers. Chargers. Minnesota Vikings versus the Green Bay Packers. I got Vikings. Vikings. Baltimore Ravens versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is tough because I don't think Lamar's playing. And the Steelers could be playing for their playoff lives as long as a couple. I don't remember the scenarios, but a couple things have to happen for them to stay alive. But screw it. I want to end the Steelers' playoff hopes. They've done it to us too many times. So F them. I got Baltimore. Mm, I got Pittsburgh. I know. All right. Monday Night Football, obviously the best game of the week. The Buffalo Bills. Versus the Cincinnati Bengals. I got Bengals. I got Bills. I respect it. All right, so next up, the offensive, defensive, and rookies we are watching. Starting off with our offensive players. I've been ragging on Josh Allen a lot lately. He's got to show me something. And y'all already know how I feel about Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow is the man. Is he the best quarterback in the league? Not yet, but I think he's second. And I think that Josh Allen, in games like this, you have to step up. And in the regular season against Patrick Mahomes, he stepped up. They're going to need him to step up again against the Bengals, especially if they want to lock up that number one seed. Um, for me, I'm going to say Dak Prescott. Um, no Tony Pollard. Even with Jeffrey Simmons out, you still going, you still could potentially going up against a really good run defense. Are you going to prove? Are you, this is one of those guys that are you going to show that you're the quarterback that everybody says that you are? Yeah. Uh, defensively, I'm watching Jair Alexander. Those of you who may remember Week One, where Joe, I mean not Joe, Justin Jefferson gave the Packers buckets. He was going crazy on the Packers, and then Jeff. Everybody was wondering why Jair Alexander didn't follow him all game. Truthfully. It's because it no matter who was on him, he was going to get open. But now, Jair, you got your opportunity. If you're really the man like you say you are, go shut down Jay Jettis like you couldn't do week one. Uh, for me, I got to go with Cam Hayward. Uh, yeah, I like to run the ball. Still, his defense has been really good against the run lately. He's been a big part of it. So, yeah. I would like to think we inspired the change because we definitely rushed for over 200 yards against those bums when we played them earlier in the season. Shout out to J.K. Dobbins. Um, my rookie I'm watching this week is Jalen Petrie, safety for the Texans. As we know, the Jags like to go over the top. They like to throw the ball, which means a lot of deep balls are going to be coming his way. We haven't talked about him a lot, if at all, but Jalen Petrie's been having a really, really good year. And I think that in order for him to kind of showcase what he's been able to do, if he can make some plays, get some big hits or maybe some picks on Sunday, I think that's one, going to raise his profile, and two, possibly give his tight, I mean, his Texans a chance to get another win. Oh, for me, I'm going to say tight end for the Titans, check out Conwood. Um, we don't have wide receivers that can get separation. He's been one of the only outside of Derrick Henry. He's been one of the only bright spots on the Titans um, offense. So, see if you can get some opportunities tonight. All right, and then finally, team call-outs. I'm calling out the Titans. I mean, 
I don't think they're going to win, but it's still like it's a Mike Vrabel led team. And one thing you can say about that is these teams come out and they're going to play hard. Regardless of who they're trying out on that field, they're not going to just roll over for anybody. And while they may seem incredibly overmatched compared to the Cowboys and this should be a runaway, I think that this is a game for the Titans to show that they have some pride and show that they're not just going to take it lying down. Uh, oh, my God. I'm calling out the Titans to everything that you said. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA, starting with our Mambas of the Week. Starting out of the Eastern Conference, I got to go Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum's been going crazy. I mean, he went crazy on Christmas, just went wild this past game. So I'm going JT. Yeah, I got to go. Actually, no, I'm going with Joel Embiid. Joel's been balling too. All right, Western Mamba was hard. It was very, very hard because obviously you got Luka in that 60-20 triple dub. And that was beautiful, and that was great. But I ended up going Zion because not only has this man missed over a week of action, his first game back, he hits a career-high 43 points and then scored all four, the last 14 points for his team in the final two minutes and 44 seconds. Like, if that's not Mamba, I don't know what is. So I got to go Zion. I was going on Zion because I do not like Luke. So it is what it is. Respect. Very fair. All right, and then my Rookie Mamba of the Week. Not a great week for rookies, but I'm going to show some love to Rockets forward Jabari Smith. Had a career-high 24 points on uh, December 23rd. And just with each week, he's starting to kind of get it a bit more. He hasn't been amazing, but he's been serviceable. Yeah, I'm going to go with Jabari as well. All right, let's talk our takeaways of the week, starting at number three. You can go. Number three, um, my number three, oh, uh, DeMar DeRozan is definitely, I think I can fully agree with people where DeMar DeRozan is definitely trying out and showing his skills there for different teams before the trade deadline. Um, the Bulls, they aren't going anywhere, but it is good to see him kind of pick up and look like the way that he looked last season. Especially last night after Grayson Allen pitched him off. So, but I don't think he's going to be a bull but, um, at the end of this year. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, number three for me, the Grizzlies are going to be fine. Everybody chill out. I get it. The Warriors game was so hyped up. Everybody was so expecting the Grizzlies to just go off, and it didn't happen. Okay, I get that. Then they come out, they lose to the Suns. Okay, I get that. But let's not act like they're still not, what, a top three seed in the Western Conference. They're just now getting Desmond Bain back after he'd been gone for over a month. Give them time to work it out. Chill out, everybody. My number two is the, the Brooklyn Nets who slowly but surely become one of the better teams in the NBA. And in my personal opinion, they're a a legitimate starting center away from being a championship caliber team. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, my number two is the Timberwolves four-game losing skid. It's causing a lot of cause from concern. One could say, oh, well, it's because Cat is out. One could say defense isn't playing great, whatever. Either way... 
when the Minnesota Timberwolves made the trade for Rudy Gobert, it was with the intention of it was going to help set them apart and help make them into a dynamo and really help take over the league. And we have not seen that. And truthfully, I don't think it's going to happen. But I just think that for a team like the Timberwolves that is continuing to fight for relevancy, it's a bad look. This is not what you want to see out of your squad. My number one is your number three. The Memphis Grizzlies are fine. Um, yes, it does suck to lose some of these games against the Nuggets, the Warriors, and the Suns in the fashion that we have. It also is very great, very convenient timing that we go on a, a somewhat of a skid after Josh says he find, he's fine in the West, yeah. and we lose the Western Conference team. Western Conference teams. But the reality of it is this. The NBA season is a very up and down season. Mm-hmm. It's 82 games in a season. And the reality of it is, it's every great team that, we, that we're talking about right now, they all hit skids. Yeah. The Celtics hit a losing skid a little, maybe a week ago. The Nets started out the season looking really, really bad. Mm-hmm. The Pelicans have hit a skid. All of these teams have hit skids when they lost games. But for whatever reason, everybody's jumping on the grids and saying, like, oh, they suck. They aren't as good as they as they claim to be, yada, yada, yada. It's not even all-star break. And it also just infuriates me as a Grizzlies fan that's from Memphis to see other people saying things like, oh, the coach called the same state of plays, and they don't work. Like, these are the same plays that he's called all season. These are the same plays that he's called where we beat the Bucks by 40 and everybody was jumping around doing the wave at the form. But now because we lost a couple games to some, I won't even say hard opponents because of injuries, but because we hit the stretch in our schedule, it's actually a little bit difficult and we're coming across hard times. Like, now everybody's saying, like, oh, Taylor Jenkins isn't a good coach. Oh, we need to make some trades. Like, no, we're fine. You're going to look up. You can look up. And they're still going to, like you said, they're still a top three team in the West. And they can still be a top three team in the West by the time the playoffs get here. And they still have the talent to win an NBA championship. It's just one thing in this year that they've done is they just haven't made shots. Yeah. Like this past game against the War, well, not the Warriors, but the Suns, they were like eight for twenty-nine from three. You can't win games in today's NBA with single digit three points. It's just impossible. So they're fine. People just need to relax. And it, it just it bothers me because like it always the minute some the minute it's a little bit of adversity, people start to say like, Oh, we need to get rid of Taylor Jenkins. Oh, we need to trade this player or that player. And it's like, bro, they're good. Right. This is gonna happen. You can't win every game. Yeah. And like you mentioned, I mean it's an eighty two game season. Everybody chill the hell out. There's way more basketball to be played. Cause, and you really hit it on the head, like all the top teams have gone through skids. The Grizzlies are not original in that regard, so chill out. My number one is, I hate to say it, but Luka has legitimate chance to win MVP even as his team finishes with a less than seller seed. He was my pick to win MVP before the year started, and I'm, I'm, 
I, yeah, I'll say unfortunately because I'd rather be Ja or somebody else, but he's been balling. So I know you don't like him a lot or at all, but I mean, Luca has been playing terrifically. And unfortunately, he just does not have a team around him that can like not even reach his level, but at least like help compliment him enough to where they would be a higher seed. Because what, what right now they are the what seventh seed. But I think Luke, if Luca, I'm not expecting to have 60, 20 triple doves every game, but if he can continue to play at this incredibly high level, I think regardless of what seed the Mavericks get, as long as they're in the playoffs, I think Luca's going to end up winning MVP. I think it's going to be very hard for the league to deny him, even if he's, like I said, even if his team is not exactly winning a lot. All right, let's go ahead and move on to some more trade rumors. Um, and both of these take place in the Eastern Conference. First, uh, trouble brewing in Atlanta. A couple weeks ago, you and I talked about uh, Trey Young and Nate McMillan getting into it. And apparently those concerns have been getting growing louder over the course of the few past few weeks. In fact, rival executives believe that Trey Young could be the next superstar to request a trade if the Hawks don't make inroads come playoffs. So, Ethan, what do you think is going to happen with Atlanta? Because I think we can probably both agree we don't see Atlanta really being a I mean, a, a championship contender as of right now. And if the locker room issues continue to persist, do you think Trey Young is going to still be on the team come 2023? Nah, no. Because it's hard because Trey Young, in a lot of ways, is very similar to Luka, where – you need to put the ball in his hands and you need to have people that play around him that don't need the ball in his hands nearly as much. And that was a part of the issue. Like, Trey Young didn't want to come off the ball to let DeJounte have the ball in his hands. Um, so, I think he's going to ask out. Not only, I don't know where, but I can see him being gone. Yeah, I agree. Um, Even... And with you mentioned the Jante Murray trade, I still don't understand why they made it to this day. Um, but yeah, it hasn't exactly had the returns that the team and I'm sure DeJounte would have liked. But I mean, I guess it's better than being on the Spurs. No offense to them. All right, uh, some more trouble brewing going up north um, in the Whitney City. Chicago and the Zach Levine seem to be at odds. Apparently, there are multiple teams who are monitoring the situation with Zach Levine if he is made available. There have been reports that Zach Levine has been getting into it with the front office and reportedly not seeing eye-to-eye. Um, Shams reported there's a palpable feeling across various parts of the franchise of disconnect over Levine's situation in Chicago. So, providing a similar question for Zach Levine, you think come 2023 he will still be with the Bulls? I, I think he will because I think DeMar will be gone. Because yeah. a lot of his frustration has been centered around the usage of him and DeMar. Like, they're, they're using DeMar like the star and Zach more of like a a supportive star star role. Yeah. And I think Zach was thinking it was gonna be the other way around. Yeah, that's fair. I think I think so too. I especially because you and I had talked about it. While I think there's a market for him for sure, it's a lot of money to take on that deal. And then it's not telling how much more you have to give up to actually acquire him. 
All right, let's go ahead and move on. The Phoenix Suns and Mercury, it has been announced, have been sold to Matt Ashibia, um, billionaire mortgage lender. This comes after a completed uh, sale from tumultuous owner Robert Sarver, who you and I have talked about at length about workplace misconduct, um, was accused and pretty much not forced to sell the team per se, but everybody in mind was calling for the team to be sold. So congratulations to uh, Mr. Ishibia. Injury news, because there have been two big ones. Uh, Demontis Sabonis is gonna be out for an undetermined amount of time after he suffered a right hand injury and will undergo further testing and evaluation to determine treatment options, thus leaving the Kings without one of their best players and their second leading scorer. Another big one, uh, it's, it was announced that Devin Booker is going to miss at least the next four weeks due to a left groin strain. The Suns, as we all know, have been kind of eh as of late. And without him in tow, this is a pretty big loss. How big do you think it's going to be for the Suns not having D-Book on the court? I think it's going to be really big because of, like going into this season and throughout the course of this season, Devin Booker was starting to ascend himself to a status of being like a superstar player. Mm-hmm. Because when you looked up, when Chris Paul was hurt, Devin Booker was the big reason why it was starting to flow. And you think about it now, Chris Paul is back and Devin Booker is gone. And the Suns are still losing games. And Chris Paul is taking a decline in his play this year. Like, I was watching the game when they played the Nuggets, and I was like, yeah, bro, Chris Paul, Chris Paul isn't looking like the old Chris Paul. He isn't looking like Chris Paul anymore. Um, and I think that having D-Book gone is going to be a really, really big blow for the Suns. No, I totally agree. Right now, they are the fifth seed uh, in the Western Conference. A month from now, where do you think they're seeding this? They're the fifth. I can honestly see them being like seven, eight, or even nineteen. That's just how competitive the West is. Yeah, I'm with right there with you. I mean, Mavericks. I can see the Mavericks overtaking them with Demontis a bonus out because the Kings are six. I can see this. King sliding a bit. I think the Warriors are going to start getting it together, especially once, um, especially once Steph gets back. So yeah, no, I, I'm in agreement. I think eighth, ninth seed is pretty, pretty much a sweet spot for them as of now. Um, so let's go ahead and move on to another league-wide issue: tampering. I mean, we see it every off season, and I mean at this point it's getting hard to define because it seems like just about anything could be considered tampering. The NBA tried to address it. Uh, by taking away the Knicks 2025 second round pick due to an investigation into the tampering of the Jalen Brunson signing. But some people think that the punishment shows that the NBA does not really care about tampering anymore or else they would have dealt out a harsher blow. Do you think that the NBA still believes that tampering is a big deal or at this point is it just a part of life? Uh, I think the NBA would like to act like it's a big deal, but I think they know it's just a part of life. Yeah, I think so, too, because, I mean, I get the frustration, but it's like, let's be honest. Players are recruiting other players all the time. The only time it's a quote-unquote issue is if it happens in the public eye. And I think that, honestly, you can't really do nothing about it because if a player wants to go to a team, they're going to go to a team. 
And so I don't think it's that deep, but I think the NBA kind of has to do something just to say that they did. But overall, I don't think it's I don't think it's that big of a deal. All right, last piece before we play our game of believable or buffoonery. Um, earlier last week, it was announced the candidates, the first-time candidates for the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame class of 2023. And here are some names that were mentioned. Uh, Dwayne Wade, Dirk Nowitzki, Tony Parker, Pal Gasol, Greg Popovich, Chauncey Billups, Sean Marion, and Becky Hammond as a player. I think it's pretty safe to say most of those guys have a really good chance of getting in. But let's say three players who are locks to get in, who without a doubt are going to make it, or at least three figures. Because for me, I would say D-Wade, I'd say Coach Pop, and Dirk Nowitzki. I think they're locks to make it. But what about you? I am the exact same. Yeah. Now, how long do you think it's going to take for Tony Parker and uh, Pal Gasol to get in? Uh, I think it might take them a couple of years. Yeah, I think so too. I think between the two, numbers wise, now that begs another question: Who do you think is more likely to get in between Powell and Tony Parker? I would say Tony simply because he has more championships. Um, yeah, so I would say Tony. I would go Tony too, but not necessarily because of the championships, but I think because he's had a bigger impact on like France's team national team and the success that they've had a lot of it has been attributed to Tony Parker. Powell's done a lot for Spain's team as well, but I think that because of the international ranks, I think that's what's gonna give Tony Parker the nod over Pau Gasol. But it's cool because he's getting his jersey retired by the Lakers, so and he's do, still doing pretty well in life. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery, starting with your favorite player, Clay Thompson, who said of the All-Star Game, I'm going to do it, and I'd love to go for that All-Star Game MVP. Essentially, and said, he's going to make the All-Star Game. So far this season, let's be honest, he has not been the Clay Thompson we've known but, I mean, he hasn't overall been terrible. Right now, he's averaging 18.7 points, 3.8 boards, 2.5 assists, and shooting 37.5% from three-point range. So, believable or buffoonery? Not if Klay Thompson will be in it, but should Klay Thompson be an all-star this season? Mm, no. Yeah, I don't think so either. No disrespect to him, but it's like, especially in the Western Conference, there's been a lot of guards been going crazy. I don't I don't see him making it. All right, next up, my favorite player, James Harden. And reports have come out um, on Christmas that James Harden is seriously considering a return to Houston in free agency this upcoming July, as reported by Woj. When asked about it following the 76ers win against the Knicks on Christmas, Harden said, why would you ask me about that on Christmas, man? You didn't say Merry Christmas or nothing. Essentially downplaying those that conversation. But... From the perspective of Houston, believable or buffoonery, the Rockets would want James Harden to be on their team in 23. Because I call buffoonery. No, I don't think it does them any good. Because what exactly, especially because it's clear the Rockets are committed to rebuilding and going with these young guys like Jalen Green and um, Kevin Porter when he can keep his head on state, Jamari Smith, Jabari Smith. So it just don't make any sense to bring in. Uh, James Harden. 
All right, a couple more questions before we close this bad boy out. You touched on the Nets looking like one of the best teams in the league. Right now, they're the second seed in the Eastern Conference. And Kevin Durant acknowledged that, said, they, meaning everyone, they take us for granted, me and Kai especially. We going through jump, uh, we got to jump through a hula hoop of fire to be impressed. Believable or buffoonery, the Brooklyn Nets have become the most disrespected team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I would say believable. Yeah, I'd say believable as well just because, I mean, because of the talent of Kyrie and KD, of course, everybody had high expectations. And with the season starting the way it did and then Katie's, I mean, not Katie's, Kyrie's suspension, the Nets still were kind of struggling. And now they're playing up to the level everybody expected them to. But I don't think they're going to really get that respect unless they win a ring. All right, last piece. It also involves Kyrie Irving. Uh, when asked about his former teammate, Kevin Love of the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, when he was asked about retiring Kyrie's jersey and if Cleveland should do it, he said, without a doubt, right away, absolutely. He needs to be up there. He made the biggest shot in franchise history. So, believable or buffoonery, Kyrie's number two jersey should be retired by the Cavs because I'm calling buffoon. I mean, I'm calling believable. Yeah, I'm saying believable, too. Yeah, especially because, I mean... Else. I mean, of course, LeBron, but other than that, I mean, LeBron and Kyrie are probably two of the greatest, if not the greatest, Cavs to ever step foot on that team. But all right, let's go ahead and make our game picks and get out of here, starting with the Cleveland Cavaliers versus the Indiana Pacers. I got Cavs. I got Cavs. Oklahoma City Thunder versus the Charlotte Hornets. I got Thunder. I got Thunder. Memphis Grizzlies versus the Toronto Raptors. I think Grizzlies get back on trap and get the win. Yeah, I got Grizz. Los Angeles Clippers versus the Boston Celtics. I got Celtics. Celtics. New York Knicks versus the San Antonio Spurs. I got Knicks. Knicks. Finally, Houston Rockets versus the Dallas Mavericks. I got Mavs. Mavs. All right, that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please should check out the export.net, our export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Export. Ethan, before we close this bad boy out, anything you'd like to say? Again, Grizzlies fans and those that hate the Grizzlies, it's 82 guys in the, bat, in the NBA season. We're on the skid. It's not that deep that part um yeah i got lsu we got our bowl game let's kick produce butt shout out to Keshawn booty for declaring to the draft um baltimore handle your business because i don't want the steelers in the playoffs and i would love to be the reason why they don't make it and lakers it's not fun losing but i've low-key gotten used to it but again thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you all next time